To help us navigate the complexities of these V2X networks, we have Maxime Flamont, Chief Technology Officer of the 5G Automotive Association. Maxime, welcome to the Tech Between Us. Thank you very much. Maxime, so V2X networks may seem relatively straightforward. There are actually multiple networks involved. Can you help define the individual components of what we do? For example, you know, what is a V2V, what is V2I, that sort of thing? I think it may be good to come back a little bit to some of the basics and to do some perhaps even history of the connected vehicles. Um, and, and first, I wanted to mention that connected cars, really the, the connected cars concept, they have existed for a long time. I would say that uh, the first of its kind was around the 90s uh, with the GM Sunstar that everyone knows. And this was really among the first example of connectivity for the drivers with really some some of the basic services that uh, initiated uh, everything that we know about telematics. And and, and the few years that came after uh, created quite a lot of hype. Um, And uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, with the internet bubble, and uh, the fact that 3G mobile data networks uh, at this time could not really meet the expectations of the uh, of the vehicle manufacturers, and especially at reasonable cost, uh, all these business models fell apart. And, and that was the moment when automotive and telecommunication industries really decided to grow apart uh, from each other. Uh, and I would that's really saying the least. Um, uh, still, GM and OnStart kept its promises based on a pretty basic yet successful set of service. But otherwise, most of the industry and the automotive was really kept uh, away from the mobile data networks for a long time. And that was really due to this uh, discomfort really caused by the telematic bubble. So back then, that was what, 3G back then, you said, right? Yeah, 3G, and I guess that was CDMA uh, in the U.S., so that was in basically start of 2000s. Uh, and at around the same time then uh, came the idea of connecting cars, but directly with each other uh, to exchange simple kind of safety messages. Uh, it took some time to define, but it led to DSRC or uh, what is called a, a dedicated short range communication. Uh, that that created a huge amount of research and innovation efforts around the world. And, and more than 15 years after, and um, perhaps hundreds of millions of dollars uh, in research and pilot f- funding, uh, the industry did not pick it up. Uh, and that's to say the least. So it was based on the SRC that I meant. So it's a kind of variant of Wi-Fi 802.11 uh, technology, namely the Wi-Fi 11P. And... Um, and that was, uh, a f- there was a few small attempts to introduce the technology on the market itself. So like GM in the US or Toyota in Japan with a slightly different type of standard. But this really never reached critical mass and scale. And so the, there was a huge discussion on uh, also at that time on chicken and egg issue, uh, who should invest first, the vehicle manufacturers, the road owners in US, Japan and Europe, really, uh, the road operators just, just said, okay, we will start. And then uh, they started uh, through many f- kind waves of funding, let's say, implement uh, roadside units along the roads uh, in different places. And But again, from my point of view, this cannot be compared to a substantial deployment. At the end of the day, uh, from my point of view, if, if a vehicle manufacturers do not see um, 
a, a clear business case to implement the radio technology, there is a little that we can do to really uh, convince the market uh, to, to, to go for it. And so, um, and, and even more, if the market leader in, starts to implement the technology, the others may not have any advantages to follow uh, this market leader. And that's what I call uh, often among my peers the Toyota syndrome, uh, where, where I refer, I actually refer to, to the, the situation in Japan where there is quite an ambitious intention from Toyota to, to convince all vehicle manufacturers to introduce uh, DSRC in Japan. But that did not happen. Uh, it's just that, uh, that fact that... Uh, um, very often when you have the market leader implementing something uh, and the others don't necessarily follow, they don't see the advantage. And in, in, in Europe, actually, we are seeing the same with Volkswagen, which uh, included short-range communication recently and in their new Golf 8. Uh, and that did not trigger anything among the other European car vendors at the moment. So, but let, let's come back a little bit to what you ask. Um, uh, on the definition of the connected vehicles. So over the years, what I wanted to refer to is that the two worlds to connect the vehicles have emerged. So um, one which is based on the mobile communication, uh, which has evolved from the um, uh, from the OnStar, uh, very preliminary attempts towards the connectivity on, with 4G and now uh, coming to 5G. Uh, we call it very often UU in the 3GPP standards or, or the vehicle to network kind of communication. And the other one, which is based on short co range communication, and it's, uh, it's often called in our terminology PC5 interface, and it allows uh, vehicles to vehicle communication and vehicles to infrastructure, like uh, infrastructure being the red light along the road. And so, and the convergence between these two worlds was uh, needed at one point. Uh, and, and the answer came from 3GPP, the Global Specification Organization for Cellular Communication in, uh, in 2017s in their release 14. They came up with the um, new standard, which was called LTV2X, specifically designed for uh, vehicle communication. Uh, and um, they adapted... Um, uh, so that they would address the short-range communication issue uh, and included into the 4G family of standards. After that, what happened is that we extended it to um, even uh, the, f the 5G, but that I can perhaps extend on it uh, a little bit later. So it sounds like, I mean, that this, the initial rollout of the V2X networks actually happened back as part of the 4G rollout, release 14 as part of 4G, um, and it's going to continue forward into uh, 5G deployments. I, mean, I assume it's, it's all supported in release 15 and 16 for 5G. LTE has been used now very seriously since 2016 by the vehicle manufacturer in order to, um, to, to deploy services, connected services of all kinds. But some of them are really targeted safety and efficiency of traffic, like real-time traffic information, safety-related traffic information. These kind of data that, we, that, that are very uh, accurate and, and, and need timely delivery, uh, they are now using the 4G network. Uh, 
And since 2016, that, that was um, the trigger point when we really saw that this uh, came into the products of the automotive manufacturer. I know there's a, I mean, a huge difference between 4G and 5G. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, it's, it's not simply just a, the next G. So what about 5G makes it so much better for these types of networks, for the connected car and for intelligent transport systems? I can try to, to sample it down to a few of them. Um, uh, so we, we need to dissociate, of course, the short range communication and the, and the long range. Um, what the long range will do with 5G is to deliver quality of service and guaranteed quality of service. Even sometimes we call it predictive quality of service where uh, a few minutes ahead of the time and uh, on your route, you can uh, know whether you're going to be able to receive the quality of service that you expect. And that's really the major uh, change compared to uh, the best effort kind of uh, communication network that you had with 4G or even Wi-Fi. Um, but when we are looking at the short-range communication, it's really the, the radio access technology itself that is uh, um, very um, different compared to the DSRC that I mentioned earlier. So it is based on the state-of-the-art LTE standards. Um, it is, um, while, you know, 11P is a much older radio that is based on the 11A radio. I don't know when is the last time you have used actually an 11A radio, but I think it may be around 2005, 2006. So um, the Wi-Fi solution is really, as I said, uh, a pure best effort solution, and it's vulnerable to channel congestions, to um, to different aspects that um, you for which you you don't guarantee. Uh, the delivery of the actual message. Uh, now, it may be good enough, you know, for most of the basic safety messages that you want to send. But uh, when you're going to start uh, uh, asking more from the channel or even uh, like you see in in um, in US, when the the number of channels starts to diminish because the FCC now has <laughs> downscaled from seven to uh, three channels. So uh, we are going to then uh, need a radio access technology that is much more spectrum efficient. And that's where uh, the LTV 2X come uh, uh, timely uh, to uh, deliver the, uh, the spectrum efficiency that you need. Um, now, the second part uh, is um, the fact that it is integrated with uh, the different um, automotive chipsets that are on the market. So we know that um, this integration of the long-range and short-range communication is really essential in order to bring down the, um, the costs. And so if we, if we end up on the same chip to have these both technologies, which is going to happen because they belong to the same 3GPP family, uh, you end up with um, the possibility to bring down the additional price of the short-range communication below the 30 to $40 uh, um, level. And what, what it means is that um, you really make it acceptable uh, for the investment in the car uh, to add this short-range communication. Uh, whereas if you have a different chip that is uh, providing that uh, a part of the radio, uh, you you are more or less in the 
three to four times higher cost uh, for for the for the delivery of this short range communication. Right, but so by combining the chipset, the, both the long range and the short range, into a single chipset, we're able to get you know the price down where it's palatable for the automotive companies. So we're not you know increasing the price of the you know the cost of the car to a to a degree that uh, it, it becomes you know non sellable. Exactly, and and it's really um, at the end of the day, it boils down to. Um a corporate decision uh, of the different vehicle manufacturers to integrate this short-range component. Uh, if if you have um, that argument that it uh, it is already included in the 4G or 5G automotive chipset, then then you you get it more or less for free. Um, uh, you just have to add a front end, and you add a, also a filter and 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 some uh, a good antenna, and, and there you go. No, it may, may sound a bit simple, but uh, it's not that simple. But uh, now a third part that I wanted to mention is the, the fact that it's really a communication technology that is future-proof uh, and towards uh, for 5G. Um, it's, it's really, uh, it is bound to evolve with the market, uh, the automotive market needs. And uh, the, the 3GPP community really uh, is a very active community of thousands of radio engineers and they are continuously improving the 5G standard. Actually, at the moment, we are already in the 5G advanced uh, definition. So we are not um, uh, defining the, 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 the basic uh, 5G communication, but we are already going f- towards the 5G advanced. Uh, so, so the, and, and the great thing with 3GPP is that the previous releases uh, are always included in the latest chipset. So um, that that uh, to take a simple example is that uh, it explains why you can still connect to a 2G cell network uh, today with your your new smartphone, and, and that will be no difference with LTV2X, which is being complemented later by NRV2X. Uh, the two radios will coexist, and uh, the first uh, will deliver the basic safety kind of messages and then the second will uh, deliver the advanced driving use cases leading eventually to more and more automation in the vehicle. You had mentioned that you're an evangelist for the technology. Can you tell me a little bit about what the 5G AA is and kind of what your overall goals are for the 5G AA? Yeah, perhaps we could have started with this. Uh, so, yeah, so I'm working for this association that is called 5G Automotive Association. It is a global and cross-industry organization bringing together on one side the voice of the automotive industry and on the other side the telecommunication industry. And I and they have a very very different way of uh, addressing the market. Uh, telecommunication industry is very much into standardization and then putting a level playing field and eventually getting uh, uh, products um, based on standard on the market. Whereas the automotive really likes to uh, build up uh, on their own uh, v- via their tier suppliers. Uh, 
a, a unique uh, product that is appealing to the to the um, to the customers. And it's, that's very different way of approaching the market. And um, so, what the association is, is doing is to uh, work on defining and developing interoperable, deployable, and secure end-to-end connectivity solutions for uh, future mobility, uh, transportation services, leading eventually to automation. And um, so we, we, I mentioned it, we cover all the aspects of this 3GPP cellular V2X communication. Uh, we include obviously the technology and the standards, but also the spectrum allocation, uh, the aspects related to policies uh, in different regions of the world, and also um, looking at testing, prototyping, uh, looking at a, a, a uh, aspects of security, and we may talk about it a bit later, and then the go-to-market strategies and business models. So, so, so really, you're bridging the gap, and you're creating that kind of that that overall environment to be able to deploy these systems really from 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 soup to nuts, all all the way from design, all the way through deployment, and even policy making. Yeah, we we have to be quite comprehensive in our approach, and 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 be present on all different uh, potential markets uh, the after all the automotive and the telecommunication world they have a global outreach and, and they really need um, I mean a- every single peculiarity in a region will lead to um, dramatic increase of costs uh, so on the other way uh, if you manage to harmonize the approaches around the world you uh, can uh, e- benefit from clear economies of scales so so when when it comes to our mission uh, we we have a relatively simple mission it's uh, connecting mob- or connected mobility for people vehicles and transport infrastructure but what we do is to look at different priorities uh, that are um, uh, represent opportunities or threats for uh, the market introduction of the 5G technology in the vehicles. And uh, that can be related to um, um, integration with the road infrastructure and the road operators, enabling smart devices uh, that uh, are handheld to contribute to the ecosystem, improving the positioning, actually, the positioning accuracy sometimes represents quite a lot of uh, uh, challenges, uh, enabling the interoperability di- between different systems and different devices, uh, making sure that cellular networks that are, exist already today can be already used for these mobility services, and um, we may mention it a bit later, the, the aspects of distributed cloud and edge computing, uh, which are very important. So um, in a nutshell, that's, that's what we do. <laughs> that, that, it seems like almost an impossible task, you know, combining, like you were saying, the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the way the telecom industry looks at their business and the way the automotive industry looks at their business. And then you're adding in municipalities and, and, and you know, governmental organizations. Um, and I noticed that, um, you know, as, as part of your membership, a lot of our suppliers, you know, like uh, Intel and Molex are a part of it from the component standpoint because all these have all these um, you know protocols and standards have to be built into the chipsets and whatnot um, it almost sounds like an impossible task um, that uh, that you guys are working on so I mean how is it going I mean how are deployments going with some of these new advanced systems yeah in terms of early successes we have 
members in all prominent uh, automotive markets. And this is uh, US, Europe, China, Korea, Japan. And um, the market introduction of automotive 5G is obviously surfing on, on, I mentioned it, the 4G wave. And so uh, we see almost all vehicles being sold uh, with uh, some kind of telecommunication um, capability. Uh, and uh, very quickly, we are going to see the new models coming with 5G. Actually, I'm talking to some vehicle manufacturers, you know, they, they are they are so eager to tell me uh, that uh, things are going to come on the market uh, very, very soon. So, um, but uh, when we look at um, the first introduction of the 5G in vehicles, it was clearly in China last year that we, uh, that we started to see these models. And that, that's a bit peculiar because we always said, you know, China is a little bit for, for, for following the other markets, but here China is a clear leader in 5G. Um, in fact, China has a quite ambition 5G deployment program, which is driven by the government and it's quite centralized government. So we, we have more than 40,000 kilometers of highways that are uh, being covered with 5G and, um, and tens of different urban environment, urban deployments that are um, being counted. And that includes also uh, the short range component that I talked about with uh, some roadside units that are installed at intersections, for example, to provide uh, red light information and uh, uh, red, um, uh, red light violation warnings, it's these kind of aspects. And, and that, that created... Yeah, indeed, and that that really created this um, uh, series of of, um, of new models uh, in 2021 that were put on the Chinese market. With I think we, uh, we counted 14 new car models that are now equipped with the integrated solution uh, for the radio. So that means uh, both the short range and the long range, and that's quite an achievement. And we are very proud of uh, of saying that. Uh, on the other hand, you know, things are a little bit more difficult in Europe and US. We are clearly expecting 5G to come, uh, that's for sure. But for Europe, there is still a lack of clarity on the short-range radio. Uh, as I said earlier, um, we have Volkswagen that has implemented the Wi-Fi solution on the Golf 8. And so uh, it's it's not completely clear where it's going to go. Um, so we we I think a lot of the... Vehicle manufacturers are aiming at looking at the 4G and 5G as the primary uh, source of uh, communication, and then and then uh, it will wait a little bit longer to uh, for the market to crystallize around one of the short-range solution. But uh, in the long run, what we know is that all vehicles will have these 4G, 5G automotive chipset in the vehicle. So they will be LTE 2X ready. So uh, it's just to, to make sure that the antenna and the front end are, are there. Um, now, if we are looking at the US, uh, we are very happy that the FCC has now taken some relatively difficult decisions to allocate the 5.9 gigahertz short-range radio uh, to the LTV 2X. Uh, and uh, that really enables now to um, to Ford to make their announcement from na 2019 a reality, which was uh, to bring LTV 2X on all their new models as of 2022. 
So, um, so we hope to see in in US uh, some some uh, great news uh, in the next twelve months. Right. Yeah, because I know the twenty twenty two models are are just about ready to be released. Um, I mean, to market right now, and so you're, so you're saying that each of those from Ford should have some sort of some sort of you know, cellular connectivity in them. Yeah, the cellular plus the short range communication. Uh, now, the um, for uh, for Ford and many of the others, uh, they already have the cellular con- connectivity, which is usually four G. Huh? Uh, but five uh, G will certainly come in the as a new announcement in uh, the different market uh, in, uh, that I mentioned, Europe and US, very, very soon indeed uh, in the models that are coming up now. You know, what about some of the the, 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 the newer manufacturers, you know, for Tesla, for example? Um, I know that one of their goals is to do fully autonomous level four and level five autonomous driving. Um, you know, what are you hearing from, from some of these newer, uh, you know, um, automotive manufacturers um, as far as their support for, uh, you know, for the, the, the VDAX network? Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> so first, first on on level five. Let's say on level five, this is really a holy grail, and and uh, reaching it uh, comes with um, such level of complexity that it does not really makes commercial sense anymore. So um, so we will see le- indeed level four automation. But in many countries, we end up with um, having regulations that say, if you do level four, you have to bring the connectivity to the vehicle. You have to monitor this vehicle uh, for its... Um, uh, for its health and for its uh, uh, operation, uh, because there is actually no one in the car that is actually uh, paying attention to what's happening. So some kind of connectivity is needed. But uh, on the Google and Tesla, um, I must say that they are rather what I, can, I would call them uh, loners. Uh, they they um, they address the automotive market from a totally different angle than most of the uh, vehicle manufacturers. Uh, they uh, they are and they are pretty u- successful. Huh? I'm, not, I'm not denying. Uh, they typically feel that they do not need to spend um, time on these aspects that may delay them for pr- product introduction, and so they do not necessarily find standardization interesting. They pick up what is there, they they, they take it off the shelf, and then they put it together and they make it they make it work. And that that's great. That's that's the innovators. But that does not represent, I would say, the. Um, the, the 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 bulk of the vehicle manufacturers and so um the the real automotive actors if i can call them like that it's perhaps some some people are going to uh dislike me now uh, they um they are they are also very active on the on 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 their on their strategy uh, so uh, they all have uh, what we call the K's or the ACE, um, uh, ACES um, uh, strategy that rotates around the combination of connectivity, automation, services, and, and electrification. And um, it's not a secret that most of the connected automated vehicles will be electric. It's not a secret that uh, or that the services will be online and, and that the Automation comes with a need for data collection. So this combination of of um, connectivity, automation, services, and electrification will really be the 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 big um, uh, trigger point uh, in order to um, uh, bring all this technology to a to a new level uh, of uh, of mobility services. 
And 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 at the end, the, the true innovators are the ones that are going to be able to to transform these trends into market opportunities, and and this is directly linked to to the ever growing needs to the mobility services, and independently to to whether you own a car or not, these these cars will be there. You can take them, you can share them, you can. Uh, it's going to be quite uh, incredible to 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 look. Um, in the next 10 years, what's going to happen. As cars become more connected and more autonomous, you know, they essentially become, you know, just rolling IoT platforms generating this just huge amounts of data, you know, five petabytes per year, you know, according to one report that I read. And, you know, one of the trends that in, in another industry, the industrial industry, um, that is, is happening as a result of the, you know, the, the, you know, the movement for IoT is the, you know, the, the trend towards edge computing, you know, putting the compute power more or closer to the point of data collection. I mean, do you see something like that happening for autom- for um, you know the connected vehicles? Do you see you know more compute power and more um, more brains making the car smarter and smarter? Not completely sure to what I should say yes or no. Uh, actually, but rather yes. Let's say there there are there are challenges as in every new market, and uh, and that's clearly a new market. And so first, I would say that. So you mentioned these these huge amounts of data, and so but you, we should be aware that the large majority of these data is collected and processed locally in the vehicle. Uh, by the way, it makes it easier on the privacy front. And uh, but so. As you said, the the numerous um, sensors on the cars make it a a huge IoT platform. And and these large amounts of processed processed data, uh, it really enables more and more intelligent functionalities that are um, only relevant for the operation of the vehicle itself, not so interesting to the outside world. Uh, And so so it will will be these five petabytes will 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 be somewhere lost in in the vehicle uh, some of this data is of course relevant to others around the vehicle and and then finally a small part can be sent to um, to the vehicle backend or to a third party like traffic managers but that's really a small part so uh, so we we cannot say that these five petabytes will have to be um, uh, to be used, no, no, not at all. Um, uh, not all these um, data needs to be transferred, uh, in, and certainly not in real time. And so there are some parts of the collected data that can be collected based on on events uh, that are. Um, Combined events, perhaps others that can be aggregated and stored on for later transmission. But what is sure is that all vehicle manufacturers are interested in the, the potential of vehicle data harvesting, and they all create some kind of vehicle cloud which collects and harvests the data from uh, each individual vehicles to create relevant information about the about the, um, the vehicles, so to understand better the product, to understand better the, the, the customer, or understand better what are the roads doing. Um, but this comes at the price that the vehicle manufacturers are still trying to negotiate, especially with mobile network operators. Um, what is sure is that 5G will intensify this opportunity to gather the vehicle and road intelligence in the near future. And uh, uh, one feature that is highly awaited for uh, in um, 
uh, with 5G is the role of edge computing. You mentioned it, uh, which uh, will be able to reduce the computing power uh, in in the vehicle for non-essential non-essential aspects, and then delegate it to um, to the edge uh, for fast and local aggregation, uh, normally quite uh, low latency. Uh, so that it can serve all the different vehicles around uh, without necessarily uh, requiring uh, or using the computing power that is inside the vehicle. And that, that creates the potential to, um, to um, a future um, um, a dimensioning. So you can, you, even if your vehicle is created uh, or, or done uh, or designed today for some services, uh, it can eventually uh, transmit um, through software um, some data that will be then outsourced even 10 years after uh, the vehicle has been designed. So the, the computing power uh, then is not um, the limiting factor anymore uh, within the vehicle. So what we're saying is, is you know, offloading the, the bulk of the computing power, sorry about that, um, Actually, outside the vehicle into into an, another level of uh, of edge, rather than the car itself being the edge device. Yeah, uh, so the edge would be uh, really maintained and hosted by the mobile network operators uh, within their core network, so delivering uh, delivering the latency that is requested by the application. So therefore, the 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 the, mo- the, the carrier, the, the operator's network cores will actually get more complex and have to process more data. But like you were saying, that's going to keep from having to upgrade the cars every year like we upgrade our computers every year. Yeah, and rely on the uh, upgrade of the mobile network that is um, done anyway. That's actually a different way than I was looking at it. For me, uh, when I was thinking about edge computing, I was thinking the the actual car itself was the edge device, whereas um, what you're saying is the 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 network core becomes the edge device, um, as opposed to the car or even the 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 data center core. Yeah, of course, you could consider that the edge is uh, is within the car, but that's uh, one step um, uh, ahead uh, compared to what is being this discussed at the moment. And so edge computing would be really a kind of a, a, a enabler for the sense of fusion between different IoT devices that can be on vehicles or on the roadside. And, and so that aggregation would be done then by the within either on the roadside with a roadside unit or on the mobile network. So the the, net, the mobile operators in this something like this would be would be absolutely integral into um, developing this kind of this edge you know this edge computing network. Yeah. So of course, mobile network operators with the help of the usual IT providers uh, such as Intel, you mentioned them. Uh, they are clearly a part of that that um, game and that. Uh, um, that ecosystem that will enable edge computing. What other applications do you see resulting from? I mean, this level of connectedness between, uh, you know, between the the mobile operator, you know, the the vehicle itself, um, and you know, the and infrastructure. Well, I think that a good example is uh, teleoperated driving, which has been 
used as an example of what 5G networks can do. And the principle is simple. is In some way, uh, someone takes over the control outside from outside the vehicle, and we call it a, a remote operator. And you notice that I do not call it... Um, a remote driver. Uh, so uh, we have looked at different approaches to control the vehicles depending on the level of interactions that we want to, that we accept actually, uh, from a simple monitoring of the maneuver uh, or uh, towards the full remote control of the vehicle. And um, this this use case may sound a bit futuristic to some people, but. Uh, Teleoperation is actually quite common practice in many automated uh, public transport like metro and light rail. And um, some of the driverless shuttles that we see popping up around the world are actually also in one way teleoperated with some kind of uh, telemonitoring. Um, but also you, you see it in construction sites, in mines, in harbors. Uh, so this teleoperation is not something totally new. And technology, uh, uh, the technology that is used is not really um, a driverless system. In fact, the vehicles themselves do not necessarily need to be capable of uh, high levels of automation like level four. They just need uh, some possibility to, um, of monitoring, some sensors for observation and, and also some actuations, obviously. And so eight, about 18 months ago, we launched a dedicated work item within 5GA, which was aiming at clarifying the, the teleoperation driving use cases, the functional and architecture requirements and the operational and business considerations. Um, so we, uh, we were quite successful, actually, uh, to bring... Uh, the different parties um, uh, interested in these kind of systems and then to to develop them. So um, obviously we were highly inspired with some of the proof of concept and demonstrations that we made um, uh, a few years ago. I think that uh, it, there was in Mobile World Congress in 2019 and then at the CES in 2020. Uh, so... Um, so we, we we transposed it into a few technical reports, and uh, what is sure is that 5G will become uh, an enabler. Uh, you can you can already do quite a lot uh, with 4G, but um, but uh, but 5G will clearly be the the one that is going to bring uh, the, the the security and and, um, and the safety that is required for this kind of operation. Right. Yeah, I would definitely assume that uh, you would need the bandwidth. I mean, as well as the latency and the uh, you know the security of five G to really um, make this you know um, a something that's that's deployable worldwide. Yeah. So I think it it will start with uh, technology islands uh, where we are going to feel confident to uh, teleoperate, and then I mentioned the uh, harbors or the mines. Uh, so that's the typical places where you have some confidence. Uh, but uh, once, it, once it's uh, on open roads, you're going to uh, see it uh, in, in specific um, areas. For example, uh, in between different uh, terminals for logistics, you, you may see that appearing. Um, and then um, at low speed, you may have uh, automated valley parking that is going to uh, appear in different uh, parking garage and, and uh, we see already one of them uh, uh, that uh, launch operation in um, in Frankfurt uh, near the airport. 
Okay, so this is really happening today based on you know, the standards that you guys are creating. Yeah, well, uh, I wouldn't say we have created everything, but uh, we have created part of it. Yep, a good start. Absolutely fascinating. When we were first talking about this, it was something that I hadn't even considered. And, and to me, it's like, wow, there are so many possibilities with that. Yeah, uh, now teleoperation uh, and um, what I mentioned, automated valet parking and 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 then operations in dedicated areas. That, that's where it's going to start. Let's talk for a moment about about some of the challenges that you guys are facing in, in the deployment of you know I mean intelligent transport and connected car. What sort of safeguards are in place um, to prevent you know for example you know a car from being hacked through one of these networks? Okay, that's that's an interesting one. Uh, so you used the um, hacking as the main component of safeguards. And so before getting into security itself, I think it is worth talking about what we uh, refer to as functional safety uh, in, in, our, in our business. Uh, and I can give you an example from my earlier experience. Um, so yes, it's about safety, but we do not solve the functional safety related uh, to V2X. Um, if we don't solve this, uh, we will always be confronted to uh, automated vehicle engineers that, that are uh, just telling us that uh, they don't want to uh, include anything related to uh, the connectivity in their automated features. And so um, if I look at a few years back in 2004, 2006, when we started a large project on sensor fusion, there was a clear reluctance from the from these kind of engineers to cooperate. And so the, the engineers uh, developing the radar solutions were clearly declining the cooperations of the camera-based detection engineers and then uh, and let alone the, the LIDAR and laser guys. Um, uh, they, they, they didn't want to talk to each other. Uh, one said that it was bad resolution, the other one computing hungry, the other one too expensive. So... Uh, so it's really it was an interesting um, uh, situation. Uh, each and every one was claiming its sensor was the best. Uh, they didn't need the others to detect the, the objects or vehicles, and of course they were right because uh, they were approaching the problem with one function at a time. Now we are much more comprehensive in our approach, and so only a few years later we saw that. Um, there was some innovative sensor fusion platform that were combining these sensors together. Uh, but still, there were uh, sensors that were on the car. And so if we see the parallel with today, uh, the V2X and the onboard sensors, V2X is just yet another sensor. And they, these guys didn't really yet integrate it into their platforms. They, they, they don't, they say, okay, it's low penetration. There is a lack of trust between the vehicles, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, all this to say that the next step is to increase the trust of the data being transmitted in the V2X and then uh, uh, integrate it uh, at the same level as the, any other sensors on the car in the functional safety equation. And so, and to come back to your question on security, the security credential provisioning system that is included in the V2X standard is one of the solutions that is contributing to the increase of the integrity between um, uh, uh, between uh, or inside a V2X message. So as I said earlier, the, the topic is much broader than hacking a V2X communication. And uh, it, it really comes as a 
comprehensive view and understanding of what trust is uh, between two um, two uh, two things like two vehicles. How do you build that trust? Is it through standardization? Is it through, I mean, just just longevity of the networks? Because because you're absolutely right. Um, there has to be that trust between obviously between manufacturers, but also even between you know systems within a single manufacturer. Yeah. So um, now within. A single vehicle manufacturer is something that is controllable. Uh, when we are talking about uh, the, the the trust between vehicle manufacturers, then you start to to uh, have to lay down some uh, level playing fields uh, in terms of uh, what is the quality being accepted. And and at the end of the day, so I mentioned function and safety, uh, we can never be sure that. Um, that uh, the data that is being sent is 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 hundred percent trustful, but we can limit the risk to to what we call in in our dragon the accept, acceptable risk, and so um, I do not think that the risk is. Uh, um, is is where you think it is. I mean, the risk is not necessarily on the on the telecommunication link. It is uh, more uh, where the challenge is at the moment is really to install the trust between uh, the different vehicle manufacturers on the quality of their sensing platform, uh, on their own sensors, like the positioning. I mentioned it. It, it is. It is um, it is hard, for example, for um, a high-end car engineer to design a system that may have to rely on the detection that is made by a, a lower-end car, and and but they will have to address this problem. You know, once again, is is it something that could be done through standardization, or do you think it's something that is simply going to you know going to work itself out over as as more and more of these systems are deployed, as that level of trust becomes can, becomes built up over time? So I, I wouldn't call it um, uh, standardization, but it's. Um, it's industry-wide uh, agreements and industry-wide um, uh, understanding of what they can expect from each other's sensing platform. So it's not, I mean, industry standards, but it, it's you know, for example, BMW trusting Ford that you know the information sent between their various vehicles is of a certain level of quality, is of a a, a certain, I guess, it would have to be of a certain format to be able to read it all. Now we are not completely there, but. Um uh, there are some discussions around that, yes, indeed. So, in terms of trust, I think that there is a, um, you know, there are very simple ways to hack systems with, without knowing anything about hacking. Um, one way, I mean, that I, I think it's so simple, you, you can blind with, uh, you blind the vehicles with um, with some silver tape. Uh, with with you, you put you just put silver tape on the sensors, and then so try try to put some tape on uh, one or more of the camera sensors of a Tesla, and and then you will see what happens. And and a, ve- a smart vehicle should be able to self-evaluate and even sometimes self-heal um, the quality of its sensing platform, and it should always be able to to provide. A level of confidence to the others uh, as to what level of the V2X data transmitted is, is trustful or not. Uh, so this this really leads to 
to me saying that uh, the information or the data trust is not always about this hacking or high tech tampering. It is about trusting each other among manufacturers. Uh, and you mentioned it, uh, it's a standardized way to provide the data and the level of confidence uh, along with this data. I think that's a great word um, to use in this is, is that, that level of confidence. I mean, have being confident that in the quality of the data, having confidence in the, you know, in, in the systems involved gathering the data. So, of course, uh, manufacturers don't want to unveil their secrets, but they, uh, if they can um, have a standardized way to, to express what is their confidence in the data that they have collected, that, that, that would be a great achievement. We've got a lot of moving parts between, you know, five, the, the, you know, the standard, different standards in 5G between, you know, um, you know, the evolving deployments and whatnot. Um, you know, where do you see kind of the, 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 the final form of connected cars? Um, do, do, are we, are we, will we ever be fully connected to the point where, you know, we can, you know, deploy even level four, I mean, world on a global basis? Yeah. Well, we are trying to make projections around that and then uh, looking at, okay, what will be the penetration of vehicles on, um, uh, around uh, 2025, 2030, uh, uh, with with connect with some kind of connectivity, and that that's a very hard thing to do. Uh, now, uh, what is very interesting to see is how fast uh, the mobile net, the mobile uh, handset uh, market could change uh, the way this is done. Because if if you start bringing your own device in the vehicle that is capable of doing um, what um, uh, low-end uh, car, connected car could do, then you could already um, jumpstart the evolution of the penetration of these vehicles. Now, when, when it comes to connectivity to the needed for level four, this is clearly um, need to be, it clearly needs to be integrated uh, within the sensing platform and within the uh, the, the vehicle um, and cannot be uh, relying on external kind of uh, devices that you bring into the vehicle. Several different systems that have to kind of all come up to to that certain level to be able to really to to see a you know a, like you were saying the kind of the, the economies of scale to be able to build these out on a global basis. I really appreciate your time. It was a, it was a, a fascinating um, conversation. Like I said, I, I learned a lot about you know a couple of different aspects of of VDX that I would have never thought about before. So thank you so much for for joining us on the uh, on the tech between us. It's great, great to um, great discussion. I really appreciate it. Also, thank you for listening to this episode of the Tech Between Us. In our next episode, we'll take a deep dive into LoRa and what makes these networks ideal for the Internet of Things. Discover more Empowering Innovation Together content on mauser.com slash empowering-innovation.